From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. In most of the country, Monday is tax day, when Americans must file their returns with the Internal Revenue Service or request an extension. It's the first time taxpayers are filing under the 2017 tax law, which reduced rates for both individuals and corporations while eliminating some deductions. The Republicans in Congress who wrote it, and President Trump, said it would simplify the tax code and spur growth. I'm going to talk today with two tax experts about how it's worked out. Howard Gleckman, a senior fellow at the Tax Policy Center, a nonpartisan think tank, and Peter Cohn, CQ's tax editor. Welcome to you both. Good to be here. here. So, Howard, what's your overview on how the tax law has played out for people? Has it done what the Republicans said it would do? Well, we think so. Uh, it, doesn't, it hasn't done what people think it has done, but it's done what, pretty much what Republicans thought in terms of the changes in the law. Uh, in terms of the economic effects, it has fallen far short of what they promised, uh, which to the surprise, actually, of very few of us, but that's a subject for probably further discussion. Uh, in terms of the law itself, it gave um, most people a tax cut. Um, probably two-thirds of people got a tax cut uh, as a result of the law. Maybe five or six percent paid more. Uh, the rest people pay pretty much the same as they paid before the law changed. Um, and, uh, and a middle-income uh, household got a tax cut of about $1,000. Uh, High-income people got much bigger tax cuts. But it hasn't juiced growth. There's, there's, there's some evidence that it may have juiced growth a little bit for the first half of 2018, uh, but we've seen that growth has slowed a little bit uh, as the year ended. Uh, the big promise for this law was that it was going to raise, it was going to raise people's take-home pay by four thousand uh, dollars. There's certainly no evidence that that's happened. Um, capital investment, uh, which was a primary piece of this or a primary goal of this proposal, uh, to cut taxes on businesses so they would invest in uh, equipment, which would make workers more productive, so the workers would get raises. Uh, that investment in in in, uh, in new capital again bumped up a little bit at the beginning of the year and uh, seems to have slowed down a little bit towards the end of the year. Okay, Peter Cohn, our tax editor here at CQ, there was some concern early in the tax filing season about the percentage of people getting refunds and the amount of those refunds. They have apparently rebounded to pretty normal levels. Is that right? Yeah, that's what we're seeing in the IRS uh, statistics. They've been releasing every uh, every week or so. Uh, it, the big issue that's got really political earlier in the year when it looked like refunds were down pretty substantially. Uh, and then it turned out that, you know, people really about 80 percent of, of, uh, of tax filers did not adjust their withholding last year uh, when uh, when the new withholding tables that your employer will will take that money out of your paycheck, essentially, and send it to, to the Treasury. Uh, when that occurred, nobody really adjusted. There were lots of notifications and saying, hey, everybody, you know, you may want to take a look at this and, and check your withholding. But people, it's, it's complicated and, and it's annoying and nobody really likes to do it. So it just didn't happen. And so uh, by, uh, by virtue of that, people uh, tended to get lower refunds. But now they're also finding when they're doing their taxes that, you know, look at that. I, uh, my, my overall tax liability actually went down from the previous year. Okay, Howard, uh, there were changes in the deductions too. And those, one would think, would change people's behavior. Um, do, has, have there been changes in people's behavior? Are Americans saving more? Are they starting more business? Are they giving more or less to charity? Are they more reluctant to buy homes since fewer are eligible for the home mortgage deduction? 
So there's very little evidence the behavior has changed very much. That may be in part because people were unaware of the changes. So through 2018, through calendar year 2018, which was the opportunity for people to change their behavior for it to be reflected in the taxes that they're filing now, uh, people were probably not paying a lot of attention. Uh, as Peter said, they weren't changing their withholding. They probably weren't thinking much about charitable giving. Anecdotally, we haven't seen data, but anecdotally, I've talked to charities and asked them that question about, did you see a drop-off um, in charitable giving in the last month or two of 2018, which you might have seen if people were motivated only by taxes to give? Um, and the answer has pretty much been, no, not much. Um, some economists think that what's going to happen is when people see their returns you know, now for this filing season, then they realize in a very concrete way that itemized deductions are no longer available to them because they're taking the standard deduction. That What may happen is they may change their behavior in terms of, let's say, charitable giving this year. Um, and gotcha. that will be reflected in the taxes that they pay uh, a year from now. But so far, um, very little change in behavior. Demand for housing is still strong, still way outpacing supply. Um, in terms of businesses, uh, as I said, businesses did do some increase in capital investment. Uh, that seems to have slowed, probably because they're looking at the economy and thinking that, well, I don't want to buy that new widget stamper because I, even though I get a tax break, uh, I may not have any widgets to sell. Is it, has it simplified the code? Are, are fewer people turning to H&R Block or TurboTax or an accountant to do their taxes? So the vast majority of people are using uh, either tax prep software or paid preparers. They're filing electronically. That's been going on for a long time. I don't think that's going to change. Um, has it simplified? If you are somebody who once itemized uh, and now can get at least as much of a benefit by taking the standard deduction, it has undoubtedly simplified your life. Now, for this year, uh, again, what's probably happened is people went through the process of figuring out whether or not they should itemize. So it didn't simplify their life very much for filing this year. But they'll get used to this, and they'll realize that their itemized deductions are far less than $24,000 a year. And they'll, uh, they'll just take the standard deduction. Um, so that, will, that, that means keeping less track of, taking track of less paper, it'll make things much easier for them. Now, there are provisions in the law which are going to make things more complicated, uh, many of those provisions benefit you financially, but they mean you've got to do more work. So, for example, one of the things the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act did was it made the, the child tax credit available to many more people. Um, that's a good thing. You're going to get a credit you didn't get before, but you're going to have to do more paperwork in order to get the credit. The other one, which has uh, gotten a good bit of attention, has been the pass-through business deduction. If you are a partnership or a sole proprietor or a, a limited liability corporation or something like that, um, you will be able to get a 20% deduction uh, right off the top before you pay taxes on any of your income from that business. That's a good thing, but the rules to comply with that are a total nightmare. So you're going to have to deal with figuring out whether or not you actually are eligible for this benefit, particularly if your income exceeds a certain amount. So it, it, in that case, it's going to make your life more complicated. But again, it's going to give you a, a tax benefit you didn't have before. 
So, Peter, let me turn to you. How, what about on the corporate side? Do we know anything about what companies are doing with their windfall? Are they investing it in expanded operations and adding more employees? I mean, what we have seen is growth in wages and salaries and overall compensation of workers. We have seen uh, more job creation than we're used to in the last couple of years. Uh, in fact, the trends over the last 10 years for, for growth and compensation has been significantly lower than what, what we've seen. And the Congressional Budget Office, nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, projects that's going to continue out for the next few years while the major provisions of the tax cuts uh, are, are in effect. Uh, in terms of investment, we have seen, a, we did see a bump. As, as Howard mentioned, it was a little more pronounced earlier in the year, but capital expenditures have definitely been up this year, uh, sorry, in 2018. Uh, now, it's not too far off from where it was the previous year, but a lot of these decisions are also driven by provisions of the tax code like bonus depreciation, which is basically the ability of companies to write off their capital expenditures in, in the year of, of purchase. And it's a very, very important tax break for a lot of companies with a lot of, uh, with a lot of uh, uh, equipment they need to purchase. So this, this tax break has gone in and out of the tax code uh, in really haphazard fashion for the last decade or so. Explain, well, how does that work, the bonus depreciation, Pete? So, I mean, typically uh, under standard economic depreciation or accelerated depreciation as we've had uh, has been the, the policy for, for many years, companies have to steadily over time depreciate the costs of assets that they purchase. So in other words, you can't take the full deduction for that purchase in right the first away. year. You've got to spread it over, over in some cases, decades. Uh, what the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act did, and it's, a, it's an expansion of what has been the policy in previous years, has been 50% depreciation bonus depreciation typically for the last few years, um, and that bumped that up to 100%. There's other parts of it that are things that are happening in the global economy, like business investment tends to kind of rise and fall, attracts oil prices, because a big part of the capital expenditures that are going on are in the energy industry, the oil and gas sector. So in the last couple of years, when oil prices were extremely low, it became uneconomic to make these types of investments. You saw a big drop off in in, uh, in business fixed investment. That's come up again with oil prices, and it's sort of in tandem with the tax cuts being enacted. So you you are seeing the investment, but you know, as Howard mentioned, it is trailing off a little bit, and the CBO and others are saying it's going to keep trailing off over the next few years because you know, again, at, like Howard said, if you don't have you know, it's driven by the economy. You've got you know recession. Another recession is on the radar for a lot of economists right now. And so if you don't have people to sell the widgets to, you're not going to invest in the capacity to build those widgets. You're listening to CQ on Congress. You can find this podcast at rollcall.com or your favorite podcast app. I'm talking today with Howard Gleckman of the Tax Policy Center and CQ tax editor Peter Cohn about how the 2017 tax law has affected Americans. And Howard, one of the main things for the corporations was the law was designed to get them to bring money that they were keeping overseas back home. Are they doing that? <laughs> so, so the, the the first thing is uh, they they really weren't keeping it overseas. It was really in U.S. banks. It just hadn't it hadn't been distributed uh, to shareholders or 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 used for investment purposes. So it wasn't in the language of the tax world. It wasn't repatriated. Money was actually here, and it was being sitting in banks, and banks were using it to reinvest. So uh, in, in terms of the, the macroeconomic effects, they're probably pretty small. In terms of the effects on, on business behavior, uh, some businesses uh, are using that money that, that, that they had been uh, not using before. But the interesting thing is what many businesses are doing with it is they're buying back stock or they're paying higher dividends. 
And what that says, this kind of goes to this whole, whole issue again about what, what's the most productive thing that a business can do with money right now. And what that says is that businesses are looking and say, actually, our shareholders can be more productive with our money than we can. Um, there's, there's no good equipment to buy that, that's going to increase our productivity enough for us to, uh, to get a good rate of return on that new investment, even after tax. Um, we don't see any companies we want to buy. Uh, so we're just going to give the money back to shareholders, either either through dividends or through stock buybacks. And we saw a huge increase uh, in stock buybacks in 2018, uh, largely as a as a result of this. So so yes, some companies were bringing, uh, were, were were using the money that that they had kept stashed away for tax reasons, but they weren't necessarily using it to invest in uh, in productivity enhancing activities, uh, at least not. In Which was the intent of the law to get them to invest in those. Which was the intent of It's also important to know that, that there are extraordinarily complex international tax provisions in this law, uh, and they're not only complicated; they're all very new. Uh, there's a, they, they use the model that no other country really has, uh, and that resulted in a lot of uncertainty on the part of businesses. So, businesses were holding back on a lot of what they might have done until they could get regulations to help them understand exactly what they could do. And, and what the, the, the tax effects of, of those decisions would be. In some cases, they're still waiting for those regulations. Now, the deficit has grown uh, during this year as a result of the tax cuts, I think it's fair to say. And so we should put those two things on, on a ledger. And uh, was it worth the increase in the deficit to get the benefits that we're seeing? What do you think, Howard? So many economists, during the time this tax bill was being debated and, and through 2018, said, whatever you think of the merits of the provisions of this law, the timing of it is really strange. Why would you uh, increase the deficit to generate more economic activity at the time when economic growth was already pretty good? Um, and that question, I think, is a, a, a more important question now even than it was a year ago. Um, we 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 did increase the deficit by a significant amount of money. The estimate is that 10-year increases over a trillion and a half dollars because of the tax cut, on top of increased spending that Congress did last year. Um, and and what did we get for it? Well, we got maybe a couple of tenths, maybe a half a percent of additional growth that we wouldn't have gotten before, and it was transitory. Uh, most economists think that uh, that this was all a timing change. We got this kind of Keynesian boost, this 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 uh, uh, increase in demand because of the because of the tax cut uh, for a period of time. Uh, but that's just going to go away, and we in effect borrowed uh, that increased demand for future years. So the question is, was it really sensible to do this big deficit increasing tax cut at a time when the economy was pretty good? Normally, an economist would say. If you're going to do something like that, you do it at a time when the economy is bad, not when the, the unemployment rate is 3%. And Pete, you, you just used the R word. Recession is on the mind of uh, a lot of economists. There's some evidence of slowdown in the global economy. Um, it seems odd after this uh, tax cut that we would be worrying about that. The recession, if, if it hits, it's going to hit pretty far and wide. It's not going to be you know, concentrated in, in the United States. Uh, you know, I think you know recession, global recessions are sort of completely independent uh, animals of any particular fiscal policy moves in, in the United States. There's a lot of factors that, that go into it, but I would just sort of 
go back to I think the you know the central question the re, the whole reason why we're even having this discussion is is this is not a, a partisan issue either there for many years republicans and democrats and on capitol hill and in successive administrations decided that the corporate tax rate which used to be 35% was far too high and we had this inter, this international tax code that basically resulted in in the so-called lockout although howard you know noted a lot of these assets were actually in the united states it parked in banks, but they couldn't be deployed. But because of the fact that the U.S. would tax U.S. companies wherever they earn that money all over the world, which is different than most of the other major developed economies. This is a bipartisan decision. The U.S. corporate tax code was uncompetitive. It was sort of becoming a race to the bottom with our, our trading partners in Europe and elsewhere who were lowering their corporate tax rates to attract the investment. Ireland is, is sort of the poster child for this. Uh, and so, and we're having all these so, so-called inversions where a U.S. company will pick up, move their headquarters to a, a foreign jurisdiction to take advantage of a more competitive tax code. And how do you not explode the deficit? These are all questions that they wrestled with for many years. But what I'm trying to say is there was a whole calculus that went into this. And you have to sort of look at it in the context of you had all these companies that were fleeing the United States. Uh, that's really significantly slowed since the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was enacted. The corporate code, yes, there are a lot of complications that need to be dealt with. And in fact, there are some companies that are finding themselves caught up in higher tax bills than they expected, big multinational corporations. So it's not perfect for everybody. But the only way to get this done was to also provide a large tax cut on net over a trillion dollars for individuals, no matter how much uh, money they make. In so it country. sounds like a lot of winners. Uh, what do you think, Howard? I mean, uh, so, after so, the first so, year, are there who are the winners and losers here? So, Pete, I, I just want to go back to one thing that Pete said, because he's right. I mean, there was a general consensus among economists, uh, and certainly a consensus among business people, that, that corporate tax rates in the United States were much too high. And we had this crazy system with very high corporate tax rates, but effective tax rates were relatively consistent with the rest of the world because U.S. corporations also had lots of special tax breaks. The, the initial goal, when you, you look at the proposal that was first made by, by Paul Ryan when he was Speaker of the House and by Dave Camp before that, was, who was chairman of the Ways and Means Committee some years ago, the original idea was we were going to lower corporate rates, but we were also going to get rid of a lot of these special interest tax breaks. That would have lowered the net cost of the, 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 the corporate tax cuts, but got the rate down to a competitive number. Uh, and kept the effective rate that U.S. companies paid at pretty much the same as, as, as most of our trading partners. What ended up happening was they dramatically lowered the corporate rate, and they didn't get rid of um, uh, many of the special interest preferences. And those that they, that they allowed to uh, expire, some of, some of the, what are known as the extenders, some of these provisions that, that were allowed to expire, uh, are still being discussed. Uh, in fact, just this week, uh, uh, just this past week, the uh, uh, Chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, uh, uh, Senator Grassley, was talking about how to get some of these special interest tax breaks back into the code. So the, the, the problem was not lowering the rate, which I think everybody agreed was a good idea. The problem was they didn't do the second half of the transaction, which was getting rid of a lot of these special interest tax breaks. And the same thing happened, actually, on the individual side, where they, they barely could lower the rates at all because they didn't, in the end, end up having the stomach to get rid of special interest tax provision. So, so the, there's kind of two sides of this equation. Uh, the, the, the bill did uh, some, accomplish some good things on one side of the equation and didn't do much of anything on the other side. All right, Howard. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Peter, for joining us. Thanks. Good to talk to you. Thanks for having me. 
And thank all of you for joining us. And a special thank you to my producer, Tula Vlahu. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it at rollcall.com. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit rollcall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at rollcall.